0: I remember uh, every two weeks I would get about, you know, $100 in my bank account every two weeks. Not like the most amount of money I've ever <laughs> earned in my life.
1: Welcome back to Rise Regardless, a podcast featuring the trials and triumphs of resilient individuals. I'm your host. Patrice Chan, and that was our brilliant guest, Jerry Lee. We are so grateful that you are here with us and a part of our community of resilient individuals. So let's get started. Okay, all right, Jerry Lee, thank you so much for being on the Rise Regardless podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Patrice. I'm super excited to be here.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. You've been achieving great feats, uh, being the strategy, the youngest strategy and operations manager at Google, hosting workshops around financial literacy and professional development, and you're even starting your own Korean tapas food business. So thank you again for taking the time to really share your resilient story with everyone.
0: Thanks again so much for having me. I'm super excited to share the story and for us to get started on the
1: conversation. Yeah, so the other day we had a really enriching conversation on the upbringings of Asian Americans and Asian North Americans overall and how these distinct cultural influences are an integral part of and can significantly impact who we are. Um, I know this topic really hits home for you as you yourself are an Asian American thriving in corporate America, but before we dive into some of your pivotal turning points, why don't you give everyone some context on what it was like growing up for you? Sure.
0: Um, So, growing up, I was the first family out of our entire family tree to move to the States when I was two years old. And so, as you can imagine, it's a very traditional immigrant story where, um, you know, my family had to figure out and go through hurdles around cultural barriers, um, language barriers, but more importantly, I guess, the societal barriers that we just couldn't have ever anticipated. And given that we were the only ones here, that we didn't really have a support system to rely on. Things weren't going as well as they did. So um, growing up, I think a key thing that really shaped who I am today and really built the character I am today is really my parents' um, resilience towards uh, just any obstacle that came up. And the one that really sticks up in my mind is um, we had a lot of financial hardships uh, as I was growing up. And as a result, um, it's really taught me the value of you know what. It may feel like the world's coming to an end. It may feel like everything's caving in and there's no way out. But somehow, some way, you fast forward twenty years from that point when I was five years old to um, where I am today. You know, you get this. You get you get someone who's trying to figure figure themselves out in the corporate world, trying to make their own impact and share um, his lesson around what he's learned through his mentors, um, through his family, but more importantly around what it means to grow up in such a westernized culture with a
1: Korean-American background. Mm-hmm. And so what are some things that you've done to create those opportunities for yourself and really overcome those financial constraints and barriers?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, when I was back in college, I made sure that I wanted to be financially independent from my parents because I remember as a, in high school I always was Felt like I felt so bad asking my parents for money, or I always felt so bad um, putting this additional financial burden when I know that they gave up everything for me to be in the states and have the opportunities that I can have today. And so I remember when I was in college, I was like, you know what, mom, dad, I don't need any financial, you know, help from any any of you guys. So I'm just gonna just figure it out by myself. And so as a result, it's forced me to think of ways for me to like generate income for myself. But what was great about that was that. I was, I remember I was um, a freshman in college and I was working an on campus job for about eight hours a week. And I remember every two weeks I would get about, you know, a hundred dollars in my bank account every two weeks. Not like the most amount of money I've ever <laughs> had in my life. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that makes, I'm, I'm so rich. And so I remember I would go out with my friends, um, eat a lot of food to spend on whatever I wanted. But it's interesting that at the end of the month, I, would, I wouldn't see my bank account number going up. And so as a result, I thought there were only two ways of combating that. One, working more hours, or two, finding a better um, internship or a part-time job that paid more. And so what ended up happening was throughout my entire college career, during my fall, spring, and summer, starting from my sophomore year, I just interned off campus. And so that's allowed me to work more but also build my resume um, and at the same time, getting to understand what it means to be a successful, or at least getting to understand what it means, what, what, what it'll take for me to succeed um, in the workforce.
1: Wow, that's really inspiring because I feel like a lot of times when students look to their parents for financial support, especially for their education, that it becomes almost devalued because you're being handed all that education, all that financial support on a silver platter.
0: Yeah, and I think so much of it is, you know, like when I talk to students, um, even still today, both undergrad and MBA students, they often ask, "Hey, you know what? Like, like, how can I develop my career? How can I enter X firm and all this stuff?" And what I've realized is that I'm not anyone special. I'm not, you know, someone who has two hundred IQ or what <laughs> have you. It's more about you know, like whether or not you're willing to put in time and effort to learn and better yourself, just like everything in life. Um, and oftentimes, I think people don't apply that philosophy towards a career when per, when your career is something that really takes a majority of your time of your week and really affects your well-being. So it's an interesting mindset shift for sure, um, and it's something that I see across um, all ages.
1: Yeah, that seems like there's been a lot of reflection there, and I know that um, when you mentioned your is last time we spoke, that you you said that it had a lot of influence on your current aspirations and motivations. So give us a little bit of information on what that's like for you.
0: Yeah, so when I was going through college... You know, I have great organizations and and friends who really set the foundation for me, for me to help me understand, you know, how to tie a tie or making sure that my dress shoes match the color of my belt. All these little, small, nuanced, professional things that I look back and just just laugh at myself because I just made such rookie mistakes growing up. (laughs) Um, But when I think back, I've seen how impactful mentors and having the right people around you can be in your life. And I want to be... And I want to help provide those same level of mentorship or opportunities for other students across the world. And so one of the two areas that I really focus around are financial literacy and career development, because for me, those are two really big pillars that really affected me and caused something I thought about um, and as I was going through college. And so through writing through blogs on Medium or posting on LinkedIn, I hope to share just a little bit of knowledge that I've gained through through mentors and um, just Warnings that I've had that's really helped me and hope that one day it can help change or impact the way someone thinks about their financial situation.
1: Right and so what kind of pivotal turning points have you had that was really like the impetus for you becoming more involved on platforms like LinkedIn to share your insights with other individuals who kind of need that support? Yeah
0: you know that, that's a very interesting question. I think for me it was I've always wanted to share my learnings throughout college and so presenting and doing workshops and all and a lot of those types of events was something that wasn't ever um, like a mysterious area for, for me but it's more around as I started working I knew that I was getting further and further away and so I began to see people um, posting on LinkedIn around just Career development, I saw that how, how impactful it was for other people. I think for me, as I began to post, there was once one person who uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, you know what? Your post on LinkedIn had um, been extremely helpful. I've I've incorporated some of the feedback that you've uh, posted. And even though I may not know you, I just want to say that um, just thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. And so for me,
0: I realized that, you know what? Like, even for me to spend 30 minutes a week, every two weeks, to write something that has been a learning for me within the past week, or been some, a learning that I have really wanted to share and seeing the potential impact that it can have, to me was the that this realization that, hey, you know what, maybe if I write something that can be helpful, that can help someone else, that can start a ripple effect of, of, of just help and community building across
1: people that they also have in their lives. Right, um, exactly. And it, just, yeah, that
0: realization to me was just and through power of LinkedIn and just like online media there's so much that's so negative but how can you make that into a positive
1: thing yeah for sure and I feel like it's so interesting because you mentioned that point about somebody messaging you and really showing their appreciation and gratitude and I think a lot of times people are so focused on the the quantitative aspect of things you know the number of likes and things like that but it's more about the fact that you are able to make an impact so even one person counts
0: yeah, and I think when you're so numbers driven, or when you're saying, "Hey, you know, is this post going to get the most number of likes or what have you?" so much of that can be faded away because are, you'll never have, a, you'll never reach the satisfaction of this is good enough. But I think when you're impact driven, or when you're community driven, or when you feel like um, there's a broader re- reason as to why you're doing doing this. That motivation will never die down, and for me, I hope that this is something that I continue for the, the rest of my career because I'm sure that I'll always have learnings, and I always want to be sharing things that I learned because, again, I hope that it can impact someone one day. Um, and that's really, I think, that's what it ultimately comes down to.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like communities of support are really well ingrained into who you are. So, where have you found those communities of support? I know that. You're quite active on Subtle Asian Networking, which is a Facebook community group for those who don't know, but where else have you found these communities relevant to who you are and your identity? Yeah, I think the two communities that really
0: come to mind are, one, definitely my friends um, around around uh, me and the people that I surround, my, surround myself with, and the reason why is because I think so many of them played such a pivotal factor in my growth and learning that we're all trying to figure out this whole professional world together and we really all are trying to just make it work and make our careers work for us. And so, um just sharing the learnings and really sharing the struggles most importantly and just struggling through them together to me is just so incredible. And the second thing is, you know, LinkedIn has been such an interesting tool because you never know what you'll get out of it. Even meeting you, Patrice, was through LinkedIn, <laughs> and I think that was such an amazing thing. I met so many of my close friends on LinkedIn and um I think when you're around so many people who are driven by wanting to help other people, um, you you yourself, you become so motivated by the impact that your friends are having that it motivates you, being like, hey, you know what? Like My friends are doing such awesome work, but let me help in and drive the type of impact that they're also willing to drive towards. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's all family. It's all community. Everyone's trying to do the same thing and really help people. So I think those are the two groups that really help at least keep my mindset set.
1: That is amazing. I absolutely love how you use the phrase friends on LinkedIn as opposed to connections or networks. That's so subtle and yet so powerful at the same time. Now, I came across a New York Times article all the way from 1993 on values that undergird East Asian strength and success. And so I'll name a few of them one by one. And I'd love to hear how these values have impacted you, if at all. Maybe they aren't even relevant anymore. So let's see. The yeah. first one, oh, yeah. 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 So the first one, value number one is East Asians believe that family is the building block of society.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's extremely ingrained in the Asian American culture, and I think oftentimes, at least through the mentors and managers that I've had in my life, and getting to hear their stories and how their motivations have changed is very interesting because you'll hear that people when they're getting started in their career just starting out, they're hungry, they're saying, hey, you know what, I want to climb and be CEO and what have you, but as you get older, as you kind of get into that phase of adulthood and you begin to have your own kids, your priorities kind of shift from being so career-driven to being very Mm -hmm. family-driven. And in the context of climbing the corporate ladder in America, you know, it's ultimately the ones who, who put in the most time, who can make the most amount of impact, more importantly, make those relationships and put in that effort towards building that career throughout their life, and so i can definitely see how that can still be a factor today
1: right how do you find that kind of balance between family and then still hustling and trying to achieve so much in the workplace
0: yeah, my family is extremely supportive of, I guess, my aspirations, and, then, and I think a lot of my close friends and my family know this, that I'm extremely career-driven. Um, so, Career is something that I always think about. It's something that I'm always striving for, and it's, it's my priority for as of now, and to see that my family and friends are very, extremely supportive of saying, hey, you know what? I know that you're um, busy working in your a career. Let me know how I can help or make that better for you. Having that support system for me has always been so pivotal, because Without that level of support, um, especially when you fail or you do and things don't happen the way that you anticipate, um, it can definitely be a downer, but having a support
1: system can definitely bring you up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And so value number two is East Asians revere education. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Interesting. That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really interesting one. Um, I would think, I think that can go hand in hand but I'm not sure how exactly that might relate to towards climbing the corporate ladder because so much of, I guess, um, the traditional CEO and traditional leadership positions that are available today um, are around, um, hey, having that bachelor's degree and having that master's degree, but I think maybe the educational part of it might have been um, for people who want to pursue the path of, of research, um, which go very hand-in-hand with education because that's what, Research is all about, so I can definitely see that being a factor. Um, I'm not sure if it is as prevalent as it is as it is today.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you find that your education um, has been fundamental for you working in the corporate world?
0: Mm, this is this is an interesting question because I think so much of I think my personal philosophy around education is what the willingness to learn and education and willingness to learn doesn't always have to come from an institution. It can Absolutely. come from a company. Mm-hmm. Um. And so for me, I think I always, I'll always have a long, long to learn, but the location or the, like the source of that learn, learning would be different
1: for people. Mm-hmm, for sure. And so in our conversation the other day, we kind of talked about how in many Asian cultures, you're raised in a household where you don't dare to speak up at the dinner table or even challenge your parents because it's not seen as respectful and respectful is a huge part of our cultures when it comes to relationships and all things interactions. So how have core Asian values like these ones influenced you in how you function in American society or climbing that corporate American ladder?
0: Oh man, yeah, this is something that's very dear to my heart because it's something that I um, am extremely cognizant of and have been, been trying to work on for myself because I think, so, like you mentioned, right, um, so much of Asian American is, uh, or growing up in an Asian American household is respecting your elders, but then in the westernized culture you have that same level of respect but it's okay for you to question your elders it's okay for you to um, fight back and and ask why especially in the the corporate world I think oftentimes anecdotally from my friends and the people that I've spoken to they always say you know what managers told me to do this so I will say I will do this They'll tell me to jump I'll ask how how high instead of asking (laughs) why yeah and so me i began to have this realization about maybe within the past six months that so much of what people say might not be true that there is value in asking why that there is value in questioning at google we say that the first six months is when you're a noogler a noogler being a new googler (laughs) Um, and the biggest value that you as a noogler can bring to a team is questioning everything Mm -hmm. because you come in with a fresh set of eyes you come with a fresh mindset and it's, it's on you for you to kind of question and really learn the systems and learn the reasons why and really identify those areas of opportunities that others won't see. Um, and just, I mean, that's the same thing. When you think about that, and when you adopt that mindset, so much of corporate America, I mean, at least that mindset definitely helps, um, especially as you're beginning to grow
1: your career. Absolutely agree. I find that when you've become familiar with an environment, Accustomed to the practices, it's easy to become jaded, and then you're no longer questioning and absorbing everything. It's no longer a proactive growth mindset that you'll have. And what has been especially impactful for me is looking at each and every experience as if it were uncharted territory, as if there's certainly something new to be learned from an experience. And I found that it's definitely the case.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sure, I can definitely see that. And I think, you know, I think that's what the whole principle around design thinking came from, It's this idea of looking at a process, looking at a product, looking at whatever it is, and really trying to understand fun and breaking it apart, trying to understand each and every step of the value chain and asking why. Uh-huh. Um, and again, yeah, especially as you're tenured within an organization or a company or what have you, that so much of this can be jaded because you were part of that decision making process and you, were, and you understand the fundamental reason why, but you never go back and question that because otherwise you'd be questioning your entire career throughout eternity. So uh, I can definitely see that for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Going back to that notion of being an Asian professional in corporate America, we're not here to assimilate, but with that being said, we're here to learn, to be receptive, to contribute to the augmentation of society. So how have you grappled with that balancing act of maintaining your Asian roots and origins with the increasingly pervasive American lifestyle? And I say pervasive in the sense that American lifestyles and norms exist now in many other countries too, given social media, technology, and rapid globalization overall.
0: Yeah, and I think um, I think oftentimes we can think of these as mutually exclusive, but I think there's actually a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think trying to understand as, as an Asian American, what values do you believe most fit with who you are as a person um, is extremely important. I think we as millennials and we as Gen Z don't do that level of reflection enough, especially about how our culture impacts our way of thinking and decision making up until it becomes a problem for us. Um, and for me, I think Trying to understand why I make certain decisions, why I think a certain way for me has been the starting point of trying to understand, okay, um, these are the patterns that I've seen work in corporate America. These are what my mentors have told me and told me to be more courageous, told me to speak up, told me to have a seat at the table, Um, and trying to understand what's preventing me from doing all those things has been extremely helpful as a as first step. And it's something that I'm constantly co- conscious of and working towards. But I think understanding where you are today, why identifying the problem is definitely a good first step. And just trying things that, that you would be kind of uncomfortable with, but trying to see what works and what doesn't work for you, um, I think would be the next steps.
1: Yeah, experimenting and understanding what works best for you is great advice that's not only applicable when it comes to finding your balance. So when it comes to these struggles that you've been overcoming and continuing to overcome, what is it like in, I suppose, a broad sense, being an Asian American climbing that corporate ladder? What obstacles have you faced in addition to those internal struggles you've already mentioned? Yeah, I
0: think um, the number one thing that I've noticed. Is around having that, having a voice at the table. Oftentimes, you'll be in these meetings and people will talk over you. And my first instinct is to just stop talking and listen. And again, you want to be respectful and you want to give that, give the other person the chance to talk. But when you, when that other person or other party completely removes your voice from the equation, that's when it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's you talking to the person afterwards and saying, hey, you know what, this is not something I felt comfortable with, or maybe it's saying, hey, maybe is there a better way for us to communicate communicate this? Or maybe it's something that you just say, you know what, that that maybe you do speak up in a meeting, that maybe you do really, you know, continue talking when someone tries to talk over you and say, hey, you know what, excuse me, let me just finish this thought, and then I'll let, I'll let you have a chance to speak. And I think for me, that's always been such a struggle because, just not something what I'm used to. Like I, I can never imagine myself doing that to my parents because you know, they would raise in a frenzy with me if I did that. But um, you know, it's just getting it's just breaking the, the muscle memory
1: that I just grew up with. Yeah, that really resonates with me as well, especially the part when it comes to parents. <laughs> and one piece of advice that I've heard that's super relevant to becoming a part of that conversation is to ensure that you engage within the first five minutes say something. But with that being said, it's not to say simply anything, especially if you don't feel like it's a valuable contribution. But instead, it's to say what you feel would be valuable that you've been wanting to say, but you haven't had the chance because you feel like you don't have a voice. And the reason for this is because the longer you wait, the more pressure you might feel you might have on yourself to say something extremely monumental, which then could further deter you from saying anything at all. And thus would just lead to you being entirely silent throughout the meeting. Yeah, I think that you you bring up a great point. And I think that
0: there is a balancing act with with this. And I wanna make sure that, you know, when 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 you try to engage in the conversation, that's that something that you say within those first five minutes is value add. Of course. That you're just not you have to speak. Mm-hmm. Um and I think sometimes I, I see this in meetings where um, people will just they just love to hear the sound of their own voice and they are <laughs> just constantly just keep rambling and you just kind of realize, man, this is not a constructive meeting. This is not something that I, uh, that at least for, for me, it's not something that's adding value to the project I'm working on or something that I'm trying to discuss. And so, um, yeah, I think for me, even like, finding that balance of mm-hmm. trying to figure out should I get involved in this conversation should I not and if so why should I be involved why should I not be involved it's always something that goes on in the back of my mind and I don't know if this is, if this is the right way of doing it but again I'm just trying different things to see what works and what doesn't work <laughs> yeah um, so maybe maybe in a year we'll, we'll come back to this and then, and then we can do a reflection session of a more.
1: <laughs> yeah for sure I'd love that and so kind of going off that topic of people cutting you off during meetings I know that a lot of times these actions can be really subconscious not that people are doing it on purpose and so when it comes to that, I think a lot of it has to do with stereotyping. And I think Asians are many times associated with like intelligence, hard work and humility, but at the same time, they're also seen as shy, cold, and maybe even submissive. So there's a bunch of different articles. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different articles on how um, once Asians have broken that kind of glass ceiling in the workplace, they face glass cliffs where they're hired into these precarious um, circumstances, ultimately setting them up for failure. And as an Asian American climbing that ladder, what are your thoughts on this entire notion as a whole?
0: Yeah, I think that's such an interesting concept because like, there's like, like there is there's some truth behind that for sure. That I've heard of this concept called the bamboo ceiling where after a certain point, um, for an Asian American that or someone from an Asian background or culture, that it's extremely hard for you to break uh, after a certain level that after um, an entry-level manager position or maybe mid-management that you can never break into this exact position because of what you just mentioned about them being submissive, them not being A-type personalities, them not being demanding. And so you know. <laughs> As someone who's trying to eventually aspire to be um, a leader in America, an executive in America, um, yeah, I think it, it it definitely is something that we as as as, as a culture need to be more cognizant of. But also, I do think that it, it is a process of assimilation, or we are in the process of, of assimilating to this to the American. Work culture, um, and trying to understand and find our voice in the in, in the industry, I think, is something that we're we're all continuing to work on. Um, and for me specifically, though, I think again, it just comes back to trying to understand why why don't I feel like I have a voice at the table? Why don't I feel like I can make a contribution when, in actuality, I can? But it's just trying to figure out what. How we can make that change for ourselves, and then looking up to people who have done it and trying to learn from them. And I think when I try to think of role models um, from Asian American backgrounds um, who are in the executive in the executive positions, um, not many names come to mind. So I think as we think as um, within the next five to ten years, as um, you know, we do see more of these leaders come up. I anticipate that this will be less of a problem.
1: Right. Right. And as the youngest strategy and operations manager at Google, what kind of, what are your tips for kind of getting to that point in time where you, you've been able to scale that ladder so quickly? Yeah, I think, um, at the end of the day,
0: it's trying to understand what it takes to, I think, get to that next level, learning those, learning what you should do and the qualities you should adopt from mentors who have been in your shoes, is, I think, the first step. And I think mentorship is so big because you have to find a mentor for each aspect of which you want to grow. So, for example, like, I think oftentimes we have this mentality, that notion that, oh, we must have one mentor for life and this one mentor will capture everything. But oftentimes I think uh, we should think about it in a different sense and saying that, hey, this mentor in my life is going to help me develop my career this other mentor is going to help me start my business this other than this last mentor is going to help me improve my negotiation skills and I think for me I have so many mentors in my life whom I just look up to so much that I take the, the best aspects of those individual mentors and I try to mold those into who I am and as a, as a working professional and so when it comes to influencing others when it comes to trying to work with your manager so that they can they, they can vouch for you when you're up for that next promotion, for me, has been immensely helpful. And I think the second part of it, I think, goes back to um, just just putting in the work. Um, I think throughout college, um, I was very used to making sure that I, I earned everything for myself, that everything that I was doing towards was going to help me in the long run and I think using that as a motivating factor, and understanding that career is my top priority for me, is really me. So, when you have the advocates in your life, and when you have the work to prove that um, that you are ready for the next level, um, it's just an it's just an easy easy transition.
1: I think. Yeah, and I love what you mentioned about having those advocates because I think. Kind of branching off on what you said is a lot of times people try to copy exactly one person to become that one person, as opposed to exactly. extracting from different people and trying to learn from different perspectives. Because you you can't what works for somebody else might not necessarily work for you. Right,
0: exactly. And I think I think back to I think um, like like companies, right? A company will never have a one person on their board of directors, mm-hmm. right? That they have people with multiple different backgrounds and industries and in the way they think. And they're all trying to make sure that this company is growing. Um, and the reason why they have these big board of directors is because at the end of the day, these guys are the ones who help influence the decision that the CEO will make. And they help influence the direction of the company. And in a similar sense, if you think of yourself as a company of the, and the CEO of your life, you want to make sure that you have such a strong board of directors or board of mentors or however you want to call it that really help influence the way that you, you think Act and ultimately grow and achieve your goals. And your goals could be from career to, you know, uh, fitness or what have you, but having those advocates and mentors to help guide you in the right direction is so key.
1: Yeah, and it's almost like having accountability buddies too at that point, where it's um, people who support you don't necessarily have to be people who are older than you or necessarily more experienced than you in every single walk of life, but it could just be people who can hold you accountable for the goals that you're setting for yourself as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this notion of age is so interesting because i think in a traditional sense um before you would always assume that hey you know this person is much more in work experience than me so therefore must be um must be so much that i can learn from this person whereas i feel that like there was never this mentality around hey this person has accomplished a lot so therefore let me let me learn from this person up until recently where um, the tech industry has really shown that you don't have to be you don't have to have 30 years of experience for you to lead a billion-dollar company, a multi-billion-dollar company. Then we see these leaders who are um, much younger than the average um, CEO, and they're just doing amazing things with our companies. Companies like Stripe, or like Google, or Twitch, or what have you, that they're these young leaders, and now this mentality shifted from hey, you know, let's look to the person who has the most number of years experience to let's look at the person who's made the most amount of impact. And I think that's that's an interesting shift in dynamic for sure and it's something that i think we we as employees just in the western culture just are trying to shift or shift our mindset towards but i think it's definitely working in the positive direction
1: exactly and you're definitely a young leader too and i know you're working on different projects outside of work as well so one that i would love to touch upon is your food business so feel free to give everybody (laughs) a rundown a little bit about what that's been like for you so far and what it is
0: absolutely so Sam is a future restaurant where we hope to serve Korean traditional Korean kappas. And we hope to mix the westernized culture of Korean food with the traditional culture of eating style, where most Korean traditional dishes and restaurants are, you have a bowl of rice, you have a multitude of side dishes and options that you share, and it's a very communal experience, and it's very community-driven. And I think so much of, if you think about the westernized Korean food today is very much around, hey, I'll order this big bowl of noodles or rice or, or meat and I'll eat this for myself and we might have some side dishes that we share, but how do you mix that westernized culture with, um, keeping the community aspect of the Korean culture and really mix those two together. And I think that's what we really hope to do with that. So me and my co-founder Haben, we're, um, hoping to launch a restaurant in the long term or in the short term to see whether or not there's a demand for this kind of food in the market. We're hoping to go to large food events and test and sell this food to see if people like it. Um, And so the first event that we'll be going to is the Bay Area Night Market, which is on the last weekend of September uh, this year where we'll be selling cream barbecue wraps. And so we'll have our version of sofritas, we'll have um, Krugogi, and we'll also have pork belly.
1: That's amazing, and I find that even here in Vancouver, where there's a heavy Asian influence and there's a lot of Asian food, good Asian food, that the restaurants do tend to follow the Western culture of splitting it into your own individual portions as opposed to that traditional communal style from Asian cultures.
0: Yeah, and I'm super excited because when I went to Korea this past December, um, my aunts took me and my friend out to this a traditional um, Korean restaurant where you sit down, huge long table, and it goes exactly as described. Everything was shared except your bowl of rice. And I love that because so much of it was having that alone allowed to have so much more conversation, around, allowed so much of saying, hey, can you please pass this side dish or hey, you should definitely try this because it's so good. And just having those natural conversations immediately brings people together. And mm-hmm. I think that's what the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do is.
1: I love that. I love that. The entire story behind it all. And so you kind of ventured into this area, but did you have a lot of experience in the food industry prior to doing all of this? Not at all. I just <laughs> wow.
0: love taking pictures of food on Instagram, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, but my, my co founder, Hobbin, he is a food connoisseur. Like, he loves to pre- and appreciates food. He loves to read about the chemistry behind food, and so I, I'm learning so much of the food, and how it works, and how it, how you, how it, how your taste buds transition into dopamine in your brain, and what flavors do to the way you feel, and I'm learning a ton from him, but really I think as we, as I bring my business background, as hey, can kind of brings in this culinary knowledge, we just hope to kind of bring this together, and so it's, it's very nice to have someone whose skill sets are so complementary to yours because it definitely allows you to see the value of each other, especially in, in, in a business that's being run by two people right now.
1: Yeah, that sounds like such a beautiful blend between the art of it all and then the technical aspect as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's great that you know that he and I are also very close friends so that if the, we're extremely
0: direct with the way we communicate, we're extremely direct with our um and you transparent with just what's going on in our lives and our schedules. And so it's good to at least have that foundational knowledge of our relationship because that's the foundation for how we work together um, as business partners. So it's definitely very helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. And what kind of challenges have you faced already at this point in time?
0: Yeah, I think um, the, the biggest challenges with starting a business, especially in the food industry, is just getting all those legal permits, getting the, the seller permit, the health operating permit, shares getting the venue to approve your food making sure that they understand how they how you're going to transport your food where you're going to store your food and just trying to get through all these logistical steps has been such a big challenge for me and hobbit um and so i think as we just work towards this i'm sure there'll be more but we're just hoping to get over them the second i think that was the second biggest thing is um just scheduling like hobbit and i both. Well, um work on full-time we both have our individual uh, full-time careers that we're still really trying to make sure is a top priority in our lives and so how do you balance that with a deadline that's coming up in three months where um, you're trying to get through legal burdens of, of starting a business and you're trying to figure out the design and the marketing and the brand and the product and, um, I think time
1: management and just getting through legal steps of the business have been the top two challenges for us right and I know that last time we talked we mentioned that both of us are similar and that we use our calendars religiously so what Absolutely, kind of strategies yes. yeah so what kind of strategies do you have in addition to using your calendar to ensuring that all the scheduling works out as planned
0: yeah and so for me if it's not in my calendar like it is not happening <laughs> <laughs> um something that at least my my business partner and I have kind of respected about ourselves is saying hey you know what um there are going to be weeks where I just can't work on a business and you'll have to, you'll have to pull and vice versa and so having this calendar allows us to have visibility to saying alright what's your what's your week looking like what's your week looking like and having that quick visibility being alright he's probably going to be really busy this week and next week I'll just pull my weight for those two weeks and at the end of the day when you have that fundamental trust uh, I think it eventually evens out but in terms of time management um, I think it's just reminders on Google Calendar, calendar events um, are just my go to and I think that's really helped me structure out my time, structure
1: out my day so I can most uh, be most productive and useful from within the time that I have. Wow, that's amazing. And we just discussed such a wide variety of topics from culture and identity to even food businesses, which is something that I absolutely love how we can reach so much breadth in such a short conversation. So thank you so much for that. <laughs>
0: of course, yeah, it's definitely something I love talking about.
1: Yeah, so um, before we kind of wrap up with everything, what are your key takeaways from these various resilience stories that you've shared just now with everybody?
0: Yeah, I think the, if there's one takeaway that you would have um, from listening to my story, it would just be that when you have a goal in mind, just have, have, have the right people to help in your life to help set achieve your goals. Um, have the right mindset so that when when things fail that when things go south, that you have that community. Like, you know what? I'm going to get over this. And I'm going to be better better than ever. And the last part of it is just just try it, right? I think so, so oftentimes we're so afraid of failure, especially as Asian-Americans, that we don't try things because we're so risk-averse. Just try it. The worst thing that will happen is that something won't happen. You'll learn from it, and you'll move on. So I think those are the three key takeaways.
1: Wow. How do you get yourself to try it? Do you uh, schedule it in your calendar? <laughs> <laughs>
0: with my calendar checking with my board of directors
1: exactly (laughs) yeah i love that so do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with everyone
0: the last thoughts i would share with people is that you know i think the so much of cliche of the cliches that we hear around hard work are so are so overused around saying you know hard work pays off and you know um it's all about the work that you put in, the journey that journey for you to get there. And I think when you experience the amount of heart, or I guess when you see the the, the fruits of your labor come to life, you begin to realize how true those cliches are, and why those cliches are just such overused phrases. Um, because there's so much truth behind them. And I think hard work definitely goes a long way with everything.
1: Yeah, and so I'm sure all our listeners would love to keep up to date with all your hard work. So what's the best way to connect and see what you're working on? Yeah, I think the best way to uh, just to keep up and keep in touch would be to go on my LinkedIn profile, linkedin.com slash in slash Chihapjuri
0: Lee. Um, I'll give the link to Patrice, but yeah, um, okay. I post as much as I possibly can to um, LinkedIn to kind of share the journeys and learnings that I've, I've been having in my life. And so that would be the uh, best place.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much again, Jerry, for being on the Rise Regardless podcast. I loved having you on the show.
0: Of course. Again, thanks so much for the time, Patrice. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much again for listening to this episode of Rise Regardless. I hope that you share this with those in your circles to let them know what you've gleaned from it. And even let me know, post it on social, tell me what an impact it has made on you. I'd absolutely love to hear your thoughts because you're now a part of a community of resilient individuals. And I can't wait to share the next episode with you.